Welcome to Men at Work. We're in season three and this is episode two. And of course, I am your host, Travis Streb. Today on the podcast, I've got Maria Isabel Bances. She is a senior leader in the tech industry, as well as a champion uh, for diversity and inclusion in the tech sector. And I was thrilled to have her on just to get a firsthand view of what goes on in the tech industry. Um, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And this is really through Maria Isabel's lens. And so in this episode, we had a lot of stories and talked about Maria's journey from Guatemala to Canada, um, how she got into tech, which is also a great story. Um, and we talked about you know, perceptions around women in tech, what sexual harassment might actually look like in real life, uh, her own struggles and the universal struggles um, for many women in tech around imposter syndrome. And then we also talked about the lighter side, you know, things like how to not give a fuck when you're surrounded um, in a workplace uh, full of people that don't look like you or act like you. Either way, Maria Isabel is a gem to have on the show. Really loved the conversation and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of her stories and insights. So let's get into season three, episode two. Wanna, I just, I'd love, I'm fascinated. You have a really compelling story. So, I mean, you're now working in tech for over a decade um, and tech is known for being scarce of um, female identified people. But not only that, you know, you're also from, um, from Guatemala. So mm-hmm. I'd love to start with like, what's the story from growing up in Guatemala to now work, not only working in, but leading women and other minorities to get into the tech industry? Like, how did that whole love story happen? <laughs> it's um, a long story. I, it's so funny you ask that because over the weekend, I just started my blog, right? Because so many people have told me the same thing. You need to share your stories. And so I wrote a super condensed version on my blog. It sounds like I'm kind of advertising it, whatever. <laughs> it's great. It's fine. But... <laughs> you can advertise at will. Uh, okay. So the long story, I came from Guatemala when I was a baby. Um, We moved, we first moved to Nova Scotia for a bit. And then my brother got pneumonia twice and almost died. (laughs) So my parents said, let's move to the warmest part of the country. So it was Victoria. So I grew up in Victoria. In high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I'd always been kind of tech savvy. Um, I dabbled in creating websites and learning HTML, CSS, and I play a lot of video games, but I never really put two and two together and thought this is what I want to do for a living. So I (laughs) went into criminal justice and by a fluke, I ended up dropping out um, because of the classes I had registered for a second semester. I was waitlisted for all of them for some reason. I guess I didn't register quick enough. So I was like 18 years old. I was told, oh, you're waitlisted. Good luck getting in, but you won't get in. So I thought, what am I going to do? <laughs> and not being from a privileged background, I thought, well, like all I can do is just work, right? I've been working since I was 16, pick up some more jobs. So I worked at Best Buy. So I worked at the mobility department of selling cell phones. <laughs> and I'm not the best salesperson. <laughs> I think if someone <laughs> wants to buy something, especially something expensive, they're going to do it 
nothing I can say will make them spend X amount of money. Maybe it's a mentality thing, but I remember setting up the, the phones and back then Blackberry was still really popular. So you had the Blackberry OS, you had the HTC smartphones was still popular. Um, iPhone was just coming out and I was setting up and I had all the specs, the RAM, the storage, the soft, the op operating software and the differences between all of them. And my, I remember my manager said, that's so fascinating. Why are you investing so much time looking into all the specs and everything? No one cares about the hardware. They care about, you know, like the pixels of the camera. They care about how big the screen is. And I thought, oh, why not? It's so fascinating. <laughs> Um, and he's like, you're kind of a nerd, but in a good way, <laughs> like, have you considered, you know, looking into that more as a career option? Because he knew I was taking some time from school trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So, hmm. And so anyway, long story short, I enrolled in computer science at the University of Victoria. Um, so that started there. That was a whole other long story. But when I finished at uh, the UVic, Trying to find a job in Victoria as a junior web developer was so hard, especially when I started, there were not many women and there were even fewer, if any, women of color. So I just went out to a lot of events, you know, like my, my boyfriend at the time went away for long distance. So I was having not the greatest time in my life, you know, so I thought, okay, let's just focus on my freelancing gigs and finding new clients. I went to all these events and started with um, Ladies Learning Code. So now ladies, it's called Ladies Canada Learning, Learning Code. Code. Yeah. Yeah, so I was one of the first, I was in the first cohort of mentors for that program. That was fall 2014. Um, that was great. I love teaching others how to code. Um, I met so many awesome people doing that. I just continue attending more events and uh, workshops and mentoring when I can, even trying to lead someone I can. Um, and just you know, people would always tell me, oh, so fascinating, you're in tech, you know, because I present myself very feminine. So people would say, oh, you're in tech. It's, you know, it, it's like they have this conception. You can't be feminine and be technical, you know. So I just always liked breaking down conceptions and you can't really put me in a box so I thought, yeah. well, it's what I like to do and I like to dress up so I'm just going to continue doing both <laughs> I like yeah you like to dress up right so as opposed to well I mean I do I do some work in in tech uh, as part of my work but um why don't you what is what is the stereotypical tech um you know developer um so I guess for me, especially when I started, the stereotypical developer was cookie cutter, uh, Caucasian, cis male, you know, in his early 20s. In my computer science classes, he was, he would be the outspoken guy who, I remember this one guy, I don't even remember his name, but I remember he was so rude and condescending to the professors, but he was the, I guess, how would you say the archetype of like a- yeah software developer at the time. And I just remember laughing because he was so rude, but the professor would shoot him down. Anyway, that was the, that's, that's what embodied the stereotypical developer. And I was complete opposite of that. <laughs> well, I could imagine like, especially since you came into it somewhat by accident, um, 
but you did your entire degree in computer science. Yeah. So what was, I mean, I guess, what was it like there? I mean, you're, I have to imagine this is, this is going back in what, early 2000s? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. were you, were you like one of the only women in your, in your programs? Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I've, I never took a single computer science class in my life, so I've never stepped foot in one. Um, I don't think I'd be a good fit. I don't like knowing the details of how things work <laughs> on the inside. So. Yeah. Um, I definitely was one of the few women that were there. I noticed a couple odd couple of women um, in my classes, but I never really got to know them um, until about my second or third year. Um, when I was in school, though, I had to work 30 plus hours a week just to pay for schooling and other like living expenses. So I would attend a class and then I'd peace out and I'd go catch a bus and go to whatever retail job I was holding down at the time. Um, so there wasn't a lot of socializing. So I think that was another big aspect. I never got to know these women that were in my classes um, until like my second or third year. But um, the ones I did meet were fantastic. I think one of them works at IBM in Toronto now. Um, but she was also similar to me. You know, she gave no fucks, basically. She yeah. did her own thing. She was very ambitious and hardworking and smart. And, you know, kind of with that confidence that we naturally had we're here to do what we want to do. I don't care if I'm the only woman in the room that doesn't affect me. And I've always kind of carried that with me. And even in my career, I've often been the only woman in a team, department, or even company. I've joined a company where I was the only woman. I didn't care, I didn't shy away from that. I saw it as a challenge, kind of like a, let me put down my, my flag here, the woman flag here, and you know, like, and invite other women to join. Yeah. Well, I'm curious though, like when you, when you, so you, you seem to have a great mindset about it and, and beyond mindset, I mean, your attitude of like, I don't care. I, like no fucks given about whether I'm the only woman here or the only woman of color doesn't matter to you, but I have to imagine there are some barriers for other women, maybe who don't share that same mm -hmm. level of confidence or, um, you know, haven't developed it. So what, like, what are some of the way, some of the things that are getting in the way of having more diversity of whatever um, in, mm -hmm. in the tech scene that you've seen? I've thought about this quite a bit. I think it's almost kind of a paradox. You know, women like to see other women or other minorities like to see people who resemble them in one way or another, and that makes them more comfortable. I think it's only natural, it's a psychological thing. You, you seek out people who are similar to you. But if you're the first one, and if you don't have that confidence, then you might be, what is the word, discouraged to continue, especially after if you have a bad incident or encounter or sexism or harassment, you might think that this isn't for me. And unfortunately, I read a lot of articles and medium blog posts and you know something happens and they think I can't, I can't handle this. Well, I guess that's the part that um, I think for my, for, for my listeners who aren't reading some of the medium articles and are hearing about this, I don't think for the first time, but like when you talk about some of these incidents happening, um, mm -hmm. these are more overt, I would imagine. But yeah. what, um, I mean, barring the extreme, 
like obviously there's like you know there's you know serious you know criminal harassment that that could be happening mm -hmm. but like on a more day-to-day -day basis what are some of the behaviors you see that that are um you know i'd say like discouraging uh women or people of color mm -hmm. or other minorities from being in on that tech scene like what do you what do you see out there i can share i'm comfortable sharing what's happened to me yeah um, Obviously, I'll never name any names or any companies or anything. Yeah, um, whatever you want to share, you know, it's it's totally up to you. Yeah. And I guess I'll preface that with saying, like, the company I'm at now is fantastic. It's amazing. The culture is everyone's so respectful. And same with the some other companies in the past. Um, but in my time as a developer, not so much as a manager now, but as a developer, I have experienced like casual sexual harassment. So from there was a company that I joined when I just moved to Vancouver and they were like a, I guess a authority figure, I suppose. They were higher up in the hierarchy and they, you know, I became close with them seeing like kind of seeking out a mentor mentee relationship and they would make such inappropriate comments. They, it first started with how I dressed. Oh, I really like that outfit. That's fine. That's not sexual harassment. But then it would go to your legs look really good on that. I mean, that's borderline, but that's fine. Whatever. I'd always laugh it off. And then, oh, your ass looks very good on those pants. Or I can't stop looking at your ass in that skirt or things like that. I started getting more and more like sexual undertones. And you know, the back of my mind, I would tell myself this person's married, they have children, it's they can't, they can't, it can't be sexual harassment, you know, it, it can't. Mm. So I would make so many excuses in my head. And I would think, you know, I don't want to make a fuss. I don't want to report anything. Um, you know, I just going to keep my head down, do my work. And then, you know, I still have to be in a good terms with this person because they were, you know, higher up. Um, so unfortunately, I never told anyone about it. Um, I think at the time I was still processing if it was really sexual harassment. This was before Me Too kind of blew up. Yeah. Um, so that's one case, I guess. Well, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I, I can imagine that is, um, I, I have to imagine the feeling is just kind of like, ugh, like it just, a, like almost <laughs> yeah. like a disgust with, with that. But I think it's, um, it's important. It's important to the degree that that you know that you've you've done just to let people in on it because I think for well, I'll I'll speak at least for men. Like I think there's there's this there's this idea out there that like this kind of behavior is it's more extreme. Like it's not just a comment. Like there's you know some kind of physical mm -hmm. contact or it's you know it's persistent. But this idea that it's it's it could be just a comment that is just going to make someone feel so uncomfortable and like just it's it's so disgusting to I, I'm, mm -hmm. I can imagine to you know feel that way. But is it? Um, do you, I guess you you've really spent most of your career working in tech. Mm -hmm. Is it like do you think it's because there are so few women there, or is it or are there so few women there because? you know there's situations like that happening honestly i think it's a bit of both with my upbringing i for some reason i wasn't very popular among other girls growing up 
um, which is funny because I was such a dork and you know back when I was growing up you didn't look like a model at 13 you know like these young girls on Instagram look like which is insane good 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 for them you know Uh, but I definitely had my awkward ugly ugly phase and so to think that I wasn't popular among other women I can't fathom why they always I would always seek out answers and people would be oh they're jealous like jealous of what I I looked fucking weird (laughs) when I was growing up but anyway so I was bullied so I think naturally subconsciously I thought you know let's let's avoid big groups of women (laughs) especially women who look a certain way I just kind of even to this day it's so funny because I've led uh, engineering teams all of women and, but even to this day, when I see the one specific type of woman, I, my heart beats a little faster. Is she inherently going to be mean to me? Like, she's going to bully me? Um, but anyway, so I think that contributed to going into the male-dominated industry because I, you know, never really got bullied by guys. Uh, and also because it was my interest, you know, um, being technically savvy, building websites when I was younger. My dad would buy my brothers and I books and you know, when Microsoft 95 came out, he said, kids, I bought the uh, Microsoft for dummies book. Please read it. I was the only one who read it. My brother is older and younger. They were like, nah, I was the only one who picked it up. <laughs> so I think it was definitely those two factors. Yeah, I mean, it's a, well, it's an, it's an interesting socialization, right? I mean, I grew up in a house that where my mom was like by far the most tech savvy. I mean, she had one of the very first ever uh, computers. I remember we had a, I don't even, it was like a, the IBM DX machine in my house growing up, which oh, was yeah. like, that was the precursor to the, the, the 386. Then there was like the 486 and the Pentium. These are all like, this is old school yeah. stuff. You know, like when the floppy disk was actually floppy. Um, but she was the one that drove <laughs> kind of drove our household technical knowledge. Um, so it never, it didn't really seem strange um, to have that kind of traditional role be, be switched. But um, I can, you know, I, I can imagine though, like if it's, if it's for you growing up, I mean, you had, luckily you had a dad who at least bought the book for you, but did you, mm-hmm. did you encounter any resistance when you started telling people about what your career choice was going to be going into, into tech and, you know, working in, or, or even doing your degree in computer science? Um. Surprisingly not for my dad. So he's very traditional. He's very Latin American countries. There's a lot of machismo. Yes, machismo culture for sure. Yeah, exactly. So I was surprised when he was very encouraging. I said, no, um, Miha, do whatever you want to do. I I support you. And although they couldn't really support me financially or anything, it was nice to have that pat on the back and like go do whatever you want to do. the guy I was dating when I got into computer science, he, there's another thing. I feel like all these little things have attributed to who I am now and the confidence that I have now. Um, he, my God, he and his friends were into astrophysics and they thought you're only smart if you're into astrophysics. And they were all white guys and they were, they were racist. Even though he was dating me, he would say the most terrible things. <laughs> I, was, I had such low self-esteem at that age, obviously putting out with someone's crap like that. But I remember telling him and he kind of, he thought it was funny or something. He thought it's like a joke. And I thought, why is it so hard for you to imagine that someone like me, 
he's interested in computer science or interested in software engineering. It just, anyway. So there are some people who would say, no, you can't do it, you know. But yet, here I am years later. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you've been in it for a decade, but you also talked about your, um, well, at least to me earlier, you talked about your some of the mentoring work you've done with women mm -hmm. in tech. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about that. I'm, I'm curious to know what, you know, as you're mentoring women in tech, like what's the, what do you hear from them? And then what kind of advice are you, are you providing? Um, sure. I hope it's, I hope it's, it's, I hope it's got the same flavor as what you're sharing on the podcast. Nice and real. Yeah, for sure. Um, it really depends who I'm mentoring, but in the last few individuals, it's been a theme of, um, it is difficult to break into the industry and just acknowledging that and getting that out of the way and just kind of reminding them that, you know, I've been in the trenches, I've been where they are and, you know, you just need to keep putting in the hard work and then you'll, you'll get a job and then you'll keep climbing the ladder and, you know, and I'm not saying management's for everyone, but if you want to get into management, it's possible and just getting real with them and sharing my stories. I feel that's why I, you know, I kind of jumped at the chance of getting interviewed for your podcast because I think it's so important to share stories. I think it brings some realism and opens people's eyes that, you know, all the stories aren't just happening in Silicon Valley and that shit goes down here in Vancouver, you know, in Canada and in the tech industry. And that, you know, there's not many people like me yet, but my goal is to get more people like me and minorities of all state shapes and sizes and into tech and their own stories. So I think I need to kind of open myself up and I'm comfortable being vulnerable because I've learned so much from it. So I just open myself up and say, look, this shit has taught me so much. Um, so I just want to give you a little tidbits. I'm still learning too, though. I'm not an expert by any means, but I've noticed that my experiences have helped me. So I just get real with them as well. Well, you said that, that um, it's tough to break into the industry and is that something that's that's just tough in general, or is that unique to to women or women of color? Um, I wonder if it's maybe for everyone. As a junior, when I was starting out, it was really hard. I think in Victoria, the tech scene at the time was very small, um, and I wasn't the kind of developer. I wasn't. I didn't really, even though I knew Java, I didn't want to get a job coding in Java. So I stuck to JavaScript at the time, jQuery and, you know, CSS and. Well, so you know, I don't, when you talk about those things, <laughs> I don't know, but I assume that they're, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I assume those are things that, um, that are talked about in the tech industry. Yeah, uh, there, I guess there were like tools and frameworks libraries that you use at the time I started. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that limited the kind of jobs I could pick up because mm. I didn't want to code in JavaScript work at certain companies because they weren't looking for a javascript developer which i was um so that didn't help and then competition and then i guess starting out you have your imposter syndrome as well which doesn't help and you, you apply for a job and you would think oh i'm probably not good enough you know i don't know why i'm submitting my resume or the classic you look at a job posting i only check off like let's say 30% of the job posting, I shouldn't apply, you know, and then you hear stories where, you know, Bob checks up, like, maybe 10% of the job posting, he applies anyway, 
me super confident about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've heard, you know, I've heard that, but, you know, as a man myself, I know that I've been guilty of that in the past of looking at, looking at a job and being like, oh, I've only got a couple of things, but I'm sure it'll be okay, right? I can pass it over. But, um, you know, I'm trying to unlearn that and, and develop more empathy um, myself, you know, part of it, part through these interviews, but a lot of it's just through my work. Um, but the, there was a, I saw this, this meme the other day and it was, uh, I think it was when, when Kanye West was talking about running for president or something <laughs> and it was, and they showed the same statistic and it's like, oh, here's proof that that stat's true that, you know, men, men will apply for jobs, you know, <laughs> one out of five qualifications and women wait till they have six out of five or something. Um, so when, when you're mentoring women around that, what's the, what's your guidance for them? Is it more like, Hey, just go for it anyway. Like, how do you, how are you helping to mentor women through imposter syndrome? And just for the audience, I understand imposter, imposter syndrome to be like, I'm not good enough. Is that more or less it? But I, I don't, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I don't belong here. They're gonna find me out and find out that I suck. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I guess I start again drawing it back to me. Women see me as like I've gotten so many compliments, especially the last two years. Like I'm, I got into my in management in my mid twenties, and so women look up to me. And so I say, look, I still deal with imposter syndrome. Like I'm not a super senior manager or anything, but I have a couple years under my belt and. There's still some days I think, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> so I, again, make it real and make it tangible and say, look, it doesn't matter how much experience you'll have. You'll still have those days where you think, what am I doing? But the thing is, if you don't try it, then you'll never get better. You'll never find out, you know? And even if you try and fail, let's say you pick up a job uh, for some reason it is out of your scope at the time and you didn't know you had to improve in certain areas and let's say you get fired. Don't let that destroy you. Don't let that, you know, it's a learning moment. So um, I also say in terms of the job posting, as a hiring manager, I'm actively hiring right now. Um, sometimes the managers don't really know what they're looking for until they meet you, which sounds really interesting. But I can say for someone I recently hired, you know, they didn't necessarily check all the boxes, but um, you know what, we didn't care. We loved their personality. Um, we thought they were a great culture ad. And we found out, we found out they did indeed check all the boxes or more of the boxes. But the thing is the interview process is kind of flawed, right? It doesn't give the hiring manager or the interviewee enough time to get to know each other, you know? So it's, I think the interview process could be improved, but I think you never learn, you'll never know if you don't try. So if you don't apply, you'll never get an answer. You're, you'll just have a voice in your head like oh you're not good enough so yeah that's so another story yeah yeah go no please I love your stories please go ahead <laughs> just uh quickly another story my one of my mentees said she had studied a job posting uh, word for word and all the key so with technical job postings we have the keywords of the technologies you want you to be proficient in she studied it and then prepared for like to talk about those keywords, those tools, technologies. And then she went to the interview and they didn't ask her about any of that. They didn't ask her about Java, about Spring Boot. She, 
she had no idea what they were asking her. It was a totally different topic altogether. And she was so thrown off. And it was for the same position. It was just the job posting wasn't reflective of that at all. And so that's, I think that's a one-off case. But I think it's important to note that sometimes studying the job posting, it's, you know, take it with a grain of salt because, yeah, unfortunately, I don't know how that interview went. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, well, it, it sounds like great advice for, um, <laughs> it sounds like great advice for female identified folks or, you know, other, other, you know, minority groups who are out there applying is try to fight the imposter syndrome. I think you may have also just um, <laughs> emboldened some of our male identified listeners a little bit. Um, <laughs> A little bit more by saying that sometimes the managers are looking for something totally different. Um, so, but uh, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've certainly seen it. I guess the, one of the things I've noticed is I spend, I spend um, a good chunk of my time working with men and, you know, at the, at the executive level, primarily CEO level, I can absolutely corroborate that everyone, you know, even at the highest of levels or everyone, most people are experiencing some version of imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. and you know as well like i mean i i um i lead a men's group i'm involved in men's work and i i talk to a lot of men and not, not all of them are executives and the imposter syndrome exists for men for sure it's just that we don't listen to it like it's a like it's there <laughs> and it's just like whatever you know just kind of go for it anyway type of mentality um and it feels like part of you is trying to create more of that mentality in the in the people that you're mentoring. Yeah, um, definitely, it's definitely a mental game for sure. So when it when it comes to to leading, and I mean, you, you mentioned the fact that not only do you have like you're all you're also you know you were young, becoming a manager, relatively speaking, of people. Um, it feels like there's been lots of stuff, lots of hurdles kind of thrown in your way. Um, but you've you know, clearly overcome them. What do you like? What do you think are some of the barriers that exist that are more systemic in in tech specifically that are keeping that you know that aren't creating more you, where there you know young women of color that are able that are in there successfully leading teams of of developers? It's a great question. I think. Getting into management, especially like at the point that I did, I can attribute that to, and maybe from this story, I can pull things out of, but I attribute that to joining a really small company. So at the time I was the second hire, I was the only woman and they hired me on for a senior development position. And they asked me to take on a bunch of tasks so hire, interview and hire all these people, grow out the development team. They just kept piling on. And as maybe it's a woman trait as well as myself, but I'm a yes person. So I said, yes, of course, I'll do that. I'll do that. And so trying to make the bosses happy. And I ended up doing a lot of the work that a manager does without getting the credit, without getting the title, without getting the pay. I had to fight to get the pay. <laughs> And even then, it wasn't appropriate pay for a manager. It was negligible. The increase was insulting. But um, I think so systemic reasons, you know, companies that would take advantage of uh, individuals, um, 
you know, they saw an eager young woman, myself, and they kept giving me tasks. And then they got a manager. But if I even uttered the word, oh, manager, they would, I'd get reprimanded. Yeah, you would look up what a software development manager does. And essentially, it was what I was doing. Um, so that doesn't help. You know, I can imagine a lot of um, individuals who would go through that and think, well, fuck this. Why am I doing this? You know, um, in the end, uh, you know, I came out on top, obviously. Yeah. You know, I got to leverage the experience. They don't want to call a manager. I was a manager. All my developers saw me as their manager. So team lead slash manager is what I put my title as. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there was, I'm trying to think of a better, I don't know if I've answered your question. Well, I think if I, if I may, you know, what I'm hearing in that in, in, in a thread through your story, which has been common in like, in more of the mainstream discussion about gender and, and organizations and and it's about this idea that you have to just put up with so much bullshit to get to the same level that, um, you know, uh, a male identified, or, you know, straight white male may just never has to ever put up with. So like you're, I think I've heard it described before as like the, you know, the, the wind's blowing so hard against you and you're trying to run as opposed to for, you know, someone like me. I walk in and it's like I have a tailwind kind of pushing me up the ladder of, of management. Um, mm. I don't know if I've captured that. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. No, um, I think you're right. I did have to put up with a lot of bullshit. There's so many stories from the one job. <laughs> um, yeah. Sounds like you'd write a book about yeah. it at some point. Um, well, one day. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you, if you care to rehash all the stories, right. Um, yeah. What, I guess if what are you know I'm, I'm my audience is, is super is super mixed um, so I'm you know I'm not I'm not really speaking only to men in this one but I'm I'm curious if if you're seeing you if you're seeing other behaviors that are more subtle that you know part of this interview might help make myself and other men aware of around things that are. Um, you know, it's more this subtle behaviors that that make that are going to make women feel like unwelcome, uncomfortable, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I guess maybe it's probably still pretty subtle to most men, but I feel like it's pretty well known now. Don't tell people to smile. So at that job I was just telling you about, I had. Um, let's say not necessarily a counterpart, but they weren't a developer and they didn't really take their job seriously. So let's say their stress levels were really low compared to mine. You know, we had a difficult client. I had a performing dev team at the time they're underperforming because, you know, they're brand new, everything, blah, 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 new project. This individual would walk in and say, you should smile more, Maria. <laughs> and then he'd come and just kind of a joke around with his only contribution most days would be to come around to the dev team, crack a couple jokes, make them laugh and then peace out. Then he would try to chastise me and say, you should work in a team culture. <laughs> <laughs> I was the one running around keeping like the lights on and everything the day to day. And he said, you should work in a team culture. I go, thank you for just walking in and making a joke and then peacing the fuck out and thinking you're contributing so much. <laughs> 
but the thing is, I ended up creating an amazing culture with the team, and we still kind of talk two, three, four years later. <clears throat> and so this guy just moved away. I don't know where he is. I don't really care. But just the irony of that is he maybe just being mindful of, you know, your perspective and another person's perspective. You know, don't see someone not smiling and think that they're a grumpy. You know, maybe they're going through stuff you don't understand. Maybe you could ask them, how can I help or what's going on? You know, don't tell them to smile. That doesn't help. <laughs> Basic, yeah, basic empathy skills may be, may be needed. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things you talked about early on is you said that you like to dress well. And, um, you know, I think, I, I mean, it's, it's great, you know, especially in the, in the, in the Zoom world. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> tends to be, especially on, in, in the, during the pandemic, people, myself included, you know, you show up in a little, little more casual attire than you might wear if you were, um, in the downtown office, but what, what's been the impact of that for you? Like the, the good and the bad, because, uh, you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard lots of discussion about this, but, um, you know, as a, again, as a, you know, straight white male, I'm, I'm not really thinking too much about it, but I'm, I, I can imagine there must've been some friction points for you and maybe some great victories in it as well. Um, I guess the only time I was ever, <laughs> Let's just start with the only time I was ever doubting what I was wearing was when I showed up for an exam. I wore, I just ordered something off this like um, overseas warehouse site. And so it was kind of ill-fitting. It was very cutesy and girly. And I kind of thought, what the hell am I wearing? Whatever, let's just write this exam and let's go. So I definitely learned over the years to be more confident and own what I wear. So one of my outlets is fashion and shopping. I love to dress nicely. I love to wear high heels. Heeled boots in the fall and winter are my go-to. I have such a vast collection of boots. Um, but for me, I guess a couple of points of friction. People have asked me, especially when they're newer to the team, to the company, and they meet me, oh, you definitely don't look like a developer. Mm. And I always laugh and I say, like, what does a developer look like to you? They're like, oh, it's not a bad thing, but then they don't realize that it sounds bad. And of course, intentions are good, but they need to be a bit more mindful, you know, because someone else could take that and think like, oh, wow, that's really rude. But for me, I just laugh it off. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it it sounds like it's a way for you to express yourself, right? And, and um, yeah. if the stereotypical tech uh, expression through clothing is, you know, jeans and a plain t-shirt. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, then I could imagine it's going to be a lot different, right? And you're not, and you're not working in an environment that's more traditional corporate, where there's, let's say, more of a, a narrow window of what's acceptable, um, at least, uh, at least in some places. But mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, it, it's an interesting, interesting point because I, I think it's one of the big, big differences. I mean, there, I, I remember reading this, the study about a. Uh, a, a guy, and I, I wish I had the details of it, but uh, the, the the refrain of it was he had he had heard or you know indirectly experienced that like women were getting chastised for kind of what they wore and how much mm -hmm. it mattered, and um, he decided that he was going to wear the same suit every day for an entire year <laughs> and just see if anybody noticed, mm. and he did, and nobody said a thing. 
And so it kind of revealed, it kind of revealed this conversation or this unspoken conversation about what people wear and that, um, that women in particular are going to be judged more harshly or that's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a point of paying attention to or discussion for what they wear, you know, way more than, than men. Um, but it, it sounds like in your case, you've taken the same attitude, which is like, fuck it, I'm going to wear whatever I want. Yeah, it's, it's something I think, you know, it's funny because it may seem so trivial, but my goal is to kind of normalize being able to wear whatever you want present yourself however you want as long as it's professionally obviously I don't condemn any weird stuff but um yeah especially as a developer you know maybe I toned it down a little more but getting into management I've like right now what do you say I'm wearing I guess like a sheath dress like a like a green and black checkered sheath dress like it's knee length if I were to go outside I'd probably wear like high heel boots with this and a leather jacket and it's something I would wear at my last job when I would come into the office in the winter, you know? And so I, I'm mindful when I'm wearing certain things that do kind of carry more confidence. And I do kind of expect those questions like, oh, what do you do, you know? Because I want to start that conversation, you know? I am in tech, I am technical. Maybe I'm not writing code on, day, on daily now because I'm in management, but I am technical. I love that Maybe mission. this is a good... <laughs> yeah thank you Maybe this is a good segue I, I noticed there's this joke that people say bad developers become managers <laughs> but I think you know <laughs> developers at least when I was a developer I had so many shitty managers um, I had a few good ones really good ones I still talk to but I've had so many bad managers and I think someone has to come step up and say, hey, let me get into management. Yeah, it's a political, it can be a political minefield and stressful and blah, blah, blah. But someone needs to watch out for developers, you know? And maybe I wasn't the greatest developer, but I know I wasn't crap. I know I was pretty good. But I decided, you know, I want to shield people. And also it kind of provides a platform too. It, you know, maybe as a lady developer, people wouldn't care so much about my story, but as a young woman in authority, who's a woman of color, so many people, especially in the last month or two, have been asking me. It's like, like I'm being asked to speak at a panel in November. Um, people ask me to write a blog, to write a book, and crazy. I'm like, I'm not that interesting, but I, I use this platform to protect my developers, and so someone's got to do it. And you know. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting um, because of, you know, because of what you've had, what you've been through. Right. Like, you know, not all of it you've said, hey, I've been able to laugh it off or I've pushed through it or whatever. But it's, it's more like uh, I hope people are somewhat astonished by the, the barriers you've had to go through just to be a manager in a tech company. Um, but I, I do love the idea of trying to redefine what it means to be a leader in tech or to be a female identified leader in tech, because you said earlier that when when you're looking at somewhere to work you're looking for people that are kind of like you in your case you were looking for people that aren't like you because you didn't like big groups of women but but the <laughs> at first yeah, yeah the, but the texture of it is like you've got to be able to see somebody and go yeah that could be me and mm -hmm. I could imagine if you're a well-dressed young 
female identified person out looking for a job, you may look around the tech industry and go, oh, I'm not really sure if this is for me. Um, and, and so I, you know, I love that as, as a mission. Um, how do you, uh, what's your, what would you love to see? You know, if, if you're imagining this come to life where you fully redefined that, like, what would you really love to see the tech industry become as far as how it, how it, um, how it recruits and retains, you know, really any diverse group? I think it should really start at the beginning, you know, taking me to my journey up to this point, it's been how many years and it really starts at the beginning, getting that interest from women and minorities to join the industry. Because from the beginning, if there, aren't, if there aren't enough women and minorities joining, then there will be even fewer to kind of recruit. And so I guess that's a, another part of the mission I haven't quite fleshed out yet. How do you kind of communicate that to those people who are just starting, but to those who are already in the, like kind of progressed into the industry? Um, I guess think recruiting, we could do better. Yeah. You know, um, my previous company before COVID, I was getting pretty involved in, you know, the recruitment efforts. I had spoken, I was the keynote speaker at a women hack event last fall. So it's just women developers and QA and testers. And they showed up and they were applying to jobs at local companies and having more events like that. Um, that's a great event, but I think not every company can afford that. I think there's quite a steep um, buy-in for each company. Yeah. But for the smaller companies that are starting out that want, you know, a diverse community that don't have that, you know, big pocketbook. Yeah, definitely need to look at how we're recruiting. Um, it's just such a big problem too. I think it's a two-sided problem. It's not just, it can't all be on the recruitment effort. It needs to be on the individual themselves. Like that mentality of looking at job posting and thinking, Oh, I don't, I don't check off all the check marks. We need to fix that, you know, because recruitment can do everything under the sun. But if you're not willing to put in the time to improve your mentality or anything, then how are you going to get recruited if you're not taking a chance? Yeah. Well, and I can, I mean, I have, I was curious too, like, what about the hiring process? I mean, the hiring process itself, they generally tend to be biased. I mean, there's good, good research out there on that. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think can be done to clean that up a little bit? You're never going to get rid of all, of, well, maybe I shouldn't say never. It's hard to get rid of all the bias, but how do you clean that up so that you are able to see past, you know, someone like you walks in the door and it's like, yeah, that's fine. She fits here. Like, how do you get past that mm -hmm. in the hiring process? I think it's a culture thing. Mm. So starting at the root of the company's culture is a big point. Um, having, you know, more diverse people in the interview panel also helps, you know, if they're all like cookie cutter you know, people, <laughs> then they'll just look for people similar to themselves, you know, having maybe one or two voice that goes against the grain and says, hey, actually, let's consider this person a little closer, you know, they may bring something different to the table. So again, like being in management also gives me that platform, I can kind of speak up and say, well, hold on. You know, I've been used to the only being the only woman leader in the companies up until my current company. So being that voice and saying, let's hold on, let's take a look at this a little closer. Um, but it's you, so complex. 
It is it's super complex. I'm not a, I yeah, I sorry, maybe that's an unfair question. I don't mean for you to solve it, but it <laughs> um do you you work in a in let's say a more diverse place than you've than you've been and more diverse than most. Um what's the, what big differences have you noticed in in if any in moving to a place where there are, you know, you have a lot more women in the and especially senior management and the executive team. Um what is what's that opened up for you if anything? Um, it's definitely really encouraging to see other women um, in leadership. So when I joined this company, there were already two other software development managers who identified women. Um, and then, so I work, I've worked closely with our chief product officer, who's a woman who's fantastic. And just having those like figures of authority that you can have this rapport with really helps, you know, and sometimes you have days when you can really just relate to another woman. Um, that really helps. I think also going back to the culture, this company really cares and they're trying to improve and they're already pretty good. Um, but I think, you know, they start in a good place. The fact that all their managers aren't just one type of person. <laughs> yeah. Volumes. Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah, that, that's, I have to imagine even just that by itself is going to help a little bit. Uh, yeah. Now, I want to ask you a bit about culture, though, because tech has a, a bit of a reputation for having more of like having this kind of bro culture. And there's been there's been articles and stories and things. I haven't followed it super in, in depth. Maybe maybe you have a little bit more. But there was there's been you know, situations where there's kind of like a party atmosphere, almost like a frat party atmosphere happening and on Friday <laughs> afternoons at certain places. And um, I'm curious if you're seeing that culture shift. Um, and then maybe if you could talk about, and if you've experienced it, I don't know, but the impact of having a culture like that on someone who's, you know, not a traditional bro, you know, kind of <laughs> straight white male. So I guess I haven't really been involved in a company where they had that shift. So I've mm. been involved in companies that had that bro -y culture and then companies that haven't. So I guess in my experience, when I joined companies with that bro culture, I guess going back to how I was raised and how, you know, I, to protect myself, I surrounded myself more with guy friends because of, like, you know, that bullying and everything. So I, I was like, this isn't new to me. So in my case, it wasn't very foreign, but I can see how for someone else, it can be jarring and it can be uncomfortable. But as I shifted to other companies where the culture certain departments would be very bro-y and then the dev department would be just calm mm. you know men and women and everyone else was just you know like uh, let's say on oh, my previous company all the developers were in, the, in our own corner drinking our beers quietly while everyone else was partying it, it wasn't necessarily a development department of culture it was more of a let's say sales or marketing or whatever so just hiring the right personality to write you know the people who aren't like that, I guess it's kind of hard to filter out, I suppose. But so, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I'm going to go in a circle. <laughs> no, it's um, uh, maybe, well, I asked you two questions at once, which is bad, yeah. bad form on my part, not your part. But um, okay. well, one of the things that I had talked about um, with a, a friend of mine is she, she used to work on Bay Street. So in the financial sector mm -hmm. in, in Toronto, this is, you know, a number of years ago, but she was talking about the impact of drinking culture on, on women. 
because it's like, I never, I, I don't drink anymore, but when I did, I never even thought about drinking being unsafe and not unsafe, like drinking and driving or, but I, it never even occurred to me that it would be unsafe, but I have to, like, she was like, well, think about it. You're a, you know, you're a 21 year old woman. You're just out of university. You're working in the financial sector and everybody goes out and gets drunk after work on Friday. That's doesn't, that doesn't feel very safe for most women. Like you're surrounded by a bunch mm. of men. Uh, you know, there's this, it's not, it's not a happy place to be, but if that's the way you get ahead, then something's kind of wrong with that. Like if that's the way mm. you develop relationships is through a more of a bro drinking culture, whatever you want to call it, that's problematic. Um, yeah. I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. And I was curious if you've seen any, any shades of that in your, in your time. I guess for me, it's a little harder to relate to that because I've never felt unsafe mm. for some reason. I don't know. I, I can't really speak to why, but <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that, I mean, you know, I was completely fine going out with my male coworkers drinking and I don't know what that really says about me or the culture or anything. So unfortunately, I can't relate your friend there but I well, can I'm glad that you, yeah I'm, I'm glad you can't relate because I don't want you to yeah I wouldn't have wanted you to feel that it was more just a curiosity about what that's what that's like um and yeah. you know I have to imagine some people are going to have different levels of comfort around that it also depends you know what city you're in where you're going Definitely. what the culture's like in the company how much you know how much covert sexual harassment's been happening before you go out for the drinks all that stuff is going to yeah. add up um Definitely. So when you, know, you, you've built, you've kind of built your story or your story has built you into this, <laughs> you know, super confident, uh, young female identified woman of color in leadership in tech, what would you say to, to women who are just starting out in tech? Like what's the, what's been the most important thing for you in terms of getting of your success? I guess I would start with, again, just go for it. You know, you can't begin if you don't take the first step, if you don't apply to the first job. You're going to get rejected. Everyone gets rejected. It's not personal. You can't take rejection personally. If you do get rejected or if you do ever get fired or laid off, or which happens in a tech industry a lot, you just pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep going. All that matters is that keep going. Because if you don't, then you you don't make any progress, right? So it is going to be hard. There are challenges that you'll face that, you know, the cisgendered male types won't necessarily face, but it's good to find a community, you know, others that you can relate to. Um, even if you can find a mentor, even better, someone who you have a close relationship to, if you don't feel comfortable opening yourself up to a group. Um, the main thing is just keep going. Like I have been through the ringer and there are so many times I could have given up, um, but I didn't. So I wouldn't be here today if I gave up after I've been laid off how many times because these companies run out of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, or because of COVID, like it's, you can't give up as much as some days you might wake up and think, fuck, this is hard. Yeah. You know, you got to do it for you. If it's really what you want to do, you got to keep going. I, I like that. It's, um, 
it's a great message. And it sounds like, you know, you've been involved, like you said, about finding community or find people that are, find a mentor. You've, you've been a mentor and you've been involved in some mentor, mentorship programs. I know that the, the YWCA program for women in tech is starting in November, which this podcast mm-hmm. will air later, but I'll post everything on the show notes from that too, for people that are interested. Um, yeah. But uh, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm really grateful that you wanted to be on the cast and that you were willing to share the, you know, the highs and lows of what it's like to be (laughs) you in, in tech. And I, I know your story will reach a lot more people through this, this venue. And I hope it reaches the right people, whether it's someone that doesn't work in tech that has a different view on it, someone that can now um, better appreciate what it might be like for someone who's not like them when they're, mm-hmm. you know, hiring or whatever it is they're doing out there in the world. So thank you for that. Thanks for sharing your story and thanks for not holding anything back. It's, um, <laughs> it's a real, a real gift you have giving, giving no fucks is a, is a powerful tool in your tool belt. <laughs> so Maria Isabel with that, we'll wrap the men at work podcast. I'll make sure everyone who's listening can find you through the show notes and um yeah thank you thank you thank you yeah sounds good thank you so much trevor it was a pleasure being on your podcast and yeah i hopefully you know people i can reach out to someone who really needed to hear i don't know a different opinion different perspective so <laughs> yeah it's been a pleasure it will there you have it That was episode two of season three of the Men at Work podcast. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Maria Isabel. She's got such a great perspective and it was great to hear it firsthand um, from a woman who has climbed the ranks and seen a lot of it. If you want to find out more about Maria Isabel and her work, it's in the show notes. You can, of course, check out her website, tokentechilatina.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or any episode of the Men at Work podcast, and you haven't done so already, please leave me some feedback either directly on my website, travisstreb.com, or you can do it on whatever listening platform you are using to hear this podcast. All right, we'll see you for season three, episode three, coming right up.